wonderful. It's good to be here at Moray Field, it always is. always like to get up, do a little bit of a stock take and uh, have a look. You are a very good looking group. Uh, fantastic. Fantastic. Excellent. I love being at Moray Field. I get to sit next to my daughter in church. So if you're wondering, why is that guy grabbing that girl all the time? Well, she's my daughter and it's, it's all right. It's okay. All right. <laughs> she grabbed me first. All right. So uh, um, it's just good. I love uh, hearing what's happening at Moray Field. I love your pastor. I love all the people that work so hard. I love Nikki. It's just, it's just wonderful. And uh, give yourself a little pat on the back and say, good on ya. Hey, good on ya. That's excellent. So, uh, uh, yeah, I've I, I got something I, I feel I want to say. Uh, I went on holidays just for a week. I just, was just busy, so I just thought, you know what, I'm going to take a week off. I got up like at 9 o'clock every day. I played golf three times in one week. It was awesome. Uh, I watched a series on Netflix. It was just fantastic. I, didn't, I did nothing in a week. But there was this thing inside of me that said, I want you to do something with the church and I want you to make the July month a month all about evangelism. And in 13 years of pastoring the church, we'd never given one month to one subject. So it may seem like, well, I've just heard this message before, and you're right, you have. Right? You haven't heard me preach it, but the message of evangelism is something that I believe that God is wanting to put and kind of bring focus to right now uh, as part of our church. So I don't apologise if you're hearing it again. If you're thinking, does this church, you know, if you came in the last month, you think, does this church preach any other messages? Yes, we do, right? But for the month of July, we're just preaching on this one subject on evangelism. So I'm going to pray now and ask God to come. Father, we thank you, O Lord, that your heart was so much, O oh God, about evangelism that you sent your Son that he would come and tell us about you, O oh God, and that he would reconcile man back to God. And so, Lord, I pray as I speak today that you would be able to help me communicate your truth, O oh God, that I'll be able to say what it is that you want to say because people didn't come here today to hear me. They've come to hear you, O oh God. So, Lord, I humbly give what I'm about to speak and I ask that you would move into it and that you would use it and speak to people in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Nice and responsive. That's great. So this week, or well, probably no, a couple of weeks ago, I heard a stat, and it was a stat that caused me a lot of consternation. It made me go, oh, I don't like that stat. I want to change that stat. Now, with stats, you can say a lot, and you can actually manipulate with stats. You can say a whole host of things. But this stat caught my attention, and it was around Christians. It wasn't a non-Christian stat. It wasn't taken amongst non-Christians. It was amongst Christians. It was by the Barna Group. And it said this, that 47% of people under 40 didn't believe it was okay to tell someone about Jesus, that it wasn't right to impose upon someone else their beliefs. I was actually staggered. I was actually like, kind of like, wow, that, that's disturbed me. That people feel that they shouldn't tell people about Jesus, the good news of Jesus, because somehow they're going to offend someone or they shouldn't impose their belief. And so I just thought like, no, 
We've got to do something about that. And if you talk to our young adults, you talk to Pastor Joe, you talk to Jason, our young adults, we've got to change that stat. And I want to say that in Emerge in a church, in our youth group, and in our uh, young adults, that's not, the, that's not the stat. I believe that we've got a whole lot of people willing to talk to people about Jesus when it comes up. You know, when I got saved in 1982, that's a long time ago, it was, a, uh, it was, it was almost the opposite. It was like you were expected to tell people about Jesus, right? And, and to be honest, I really took that literally. When I first got saved, I went radical. I was still catching a bus back then, and I'd read my Bible on a bus like this. Right? At different times, I literally stood up on the bus and started preaching. Right? So that's radical. I would go into the mall in Adelaide, which is uh, like our Queen Street Mall here, and I would get a Bible and I'd put my coat on top of it, right? And I would yell out, it's alive, it's alive, it's alive. And then when a big crowd came, I'd grab my Bible and I'd go, it's alive and it's the Word of God. And they get cut to the right, and, and, like, and they would all run away. No, they would stay. You know, I would tell everyone at my football club. I remember it was a, a Melbourne Cup day and uh, we'd gone to this Melbourne Cup luncheon and I might have had a brewski or seven. And uh, I, I got 22 people to come to a Barry Smith meeting, right? I got 22 of them, of my football mates, to come to a Barry Smith meeting and he was going to tell them all about the end times and that night he spoke about divorce. It was terrible and they all left. Right? And, and I'm in the car park yelling, you're going to go to hell. Right? I, I had a lot of zeal, not much knowledge. Right? And uh, that was just, you know, I remember working at Bilo. It was Bilo in Queensland. Right? So Bilo is like a, it was a supermarket right, for the younger people here. Right? It was a supermarket. And uh, I was working there and I, they would change to new stores. And so what I did is I went into this one store and I walked into the lunchroom and there was a big sign on the wall that says, look up and live. So when everyone is there, I go, who's the Christian here? That's fantastic. Someone's a Christian here. Guy looked at me and he go, you're an idiot. That's the electric company. <laughs> right? So it was crazy. That's right. I saw one of those signs recently. And I looked for Jesus. Now, I'm not advocating that we should become all some radical street preachers. But I do hope that you understand that we have a responsibility to tell people about Jesus. That our Christianity can't be hidden under a basket and that it should be like a city lit up on a hill. If 47% of people under 40 won't tell people about Jesus and the gospel because they don't want to offend someone or be seen to impose their belief, it tells me that they seriously misunderstand the gospel. See, the gospel is good news, not bad news. If you think what you're telling them isn't going to be good for them, then I understand why you would might be a bit nervous about saying it. But if you really believe that it is good news, then you're going to tell people. You know, Jack and Tiana, they just came back from their trip to Europe five weeks. When they came back, let me tell you, they couldn't stop telling us about all the different things and showing us picture because they're happy to share good news. We should be happy to share about the good news of Jesus. 
So why is there a reluctance to, to share Jesus? And, and, and I would say fear has something to do with it. The fear of being rejected, the, the fear of scoffing, the fear that, that someone would not just marginalize you. And God knew that. And he sent to us the Holy Spirit to deal with that. So if you are fearful, just ask, Holy Spirit, help me. Holy Spirit, give me an opportunity. Holy Spirit, give me words to say should the opportunity come. And the Holy Spirit is there to help us with our fear. But that's not my message today. Right? But I think it's more than that. I actually think that sometimes we just misunderstand what the gospel is. We think it's something when it's actually something else. You know, we think that we are the ones that are responsible. Has anyone ever watched a movie? You love the movie. And then you've brought someone to say, come, we've got to watch this movie. And they watch it and they're like, oh, yeah, it's all right. But no, it's a great movie. You should love it. What about that part? That part's amazing. Oh, it's okay. Right? And sometimes we feel like that. We bring someone to church and we love it. And they're like, oh, yeah, it's all right. Not bad. It wasn't terrible. Right? And, and so we kind of think it's on us to be a great salesperson, to be a great sales pitch about Jesus and the church. But I want to say right now, it's not the church, it's not the pastor, it's not you that gets someone saved. It's the Holy Spirit. Unbelievers, the Bible tells us, every single person on this planet, unbelievers have on their heart eternity written. They have a sense of the eternal in their spirit. And so what happens, they come into a church, they come into a place and they encounter the God of eternity and something happens with them. Let me tell you a story that hopefully will free you from the sense that you've got to be the one. You have to be the one that, that God uses. I was, in 1982, what happened to me? See, someone gets saved when all of a sudden God becomes real to them. The eternity in their hearts connects with the eternal God. It was 1982, I was in a pub. It was about one o'clock in the afternoon. I already had a couple too many beers by that time. I told this girl I didn't believe in God. She just was shocked. She's not a Christian there. And to this day, she's not a Christian. And she told me, she goes, I went to this church last Sunday with my mum. And I think there is a guy I'm wondering about it all. And da, da, da. And she told me some things. And right there in that pub, my eternity woke up to the eternal. All of a sudden, something happened in me and I knew that God just wasn't a God who wasn't there, that God just wasn't a God who is out there in the distance, kind of like knew me but had nothing to do with me, but God was someone who knew me. And at that moment, I connected. The eternity in my heart connected with the eternal God. By a girl who wasn't even a Christian and to this day is not a Christian in a place that you're not going to find too many other Christians. See, it's not about you. It's about the God that we serve. I just need to get them to a place where the eternity in their hearts 
and the eternity of the eternal God connect with one another. Maybe, I believe, another reason that sometimes we can be a little bit resistant or uh, resident, resistant to telling people is that we don't want to impose our beliefs because we think that Christianity is really just about telling someone how to live. That, it's, that, that really what it is, it's, it's just behavior change. You're acting like this, now you've got to act like that. God hated you because you acted like this. Now he's going to love you because you act like this. And so we feel that all we're doing is telling someone how to live. You're living wrong. And because of that, God can't love you. You need to live right so that God will love you. What happens? That's just a misunderstanding. Right? I am loved by God. The Bible tells us that the good news is that no man is an enemy of God any longer. That Jesus died for our sin. That our sin was taken care of. And that now I am loved by God. I am loved by God. So the sin isn't what stops me. The things that I've done, it's my rejection of Jesus. Once I understand that, I'm not telling him how to live I'm telling him about Jesus. Don't reject Jesus, not your sin. It's your rejection of Jesus. See, that's good news. Telling him they got to change. See, what happens is that I change because all of a sudden God becomes attractive. This was attractive. How I was living is what I But now all of a sudden that's attractive. That's what draws me. Because I love God now, I walk away from that. It's not because you have to. It's because I actually want to. See, we are called to tell people the gospel, the good news, that God is no longer angry with them, that God loves them, that through Jesus they can know God. Our job is to be the connection point between the eternity written in their hearts and the eternal God. See, once you take away the personal responsibility, like it's your job to get saved, to get them saved, like it's your sales pitch that convinces them of their need of Christ, it has to be easier. My job is just to tell them about Jesus, what Jesus has done in my life, and let God do the actual work. I don't know if I've told you this story, but if I have, it's just a great story that illustrates it. I had to deal with a, a patched member of a biker gang. And he uh, just hadn't heard nothing about the Bible. Never met someone so illiterate and, uh, about the Bible. He's smart in other ways. And so I, didn't, I couldn't use the Bible because he didn't know anything about the Bible. And I just said, you need to actually just kind of talk to God yourself and God will show you himself. And so he, left, he had left his wife and he was going out with a stripper because he had this kind of notion that a bikey and a stripper were two kind of like the perfect match, right? And so I told him, you need to really, if you're thinking about wanting to know God, just ask him. And he'd gone away on holiday with this girl to Kangaroo Island and he's driving back and then all of a sudden he remembers what I say and he says, God, are you real? You need to show me that you're real, Right? And so what happens is that he looks up and he sees this panorama. He sees the land in front of him. He sees the sea. And then he sees the mainland. Remember, he's on Kangaroo Island. 
And God just speaks to him and says that I am real. He drives straight to the ferry. He drops the girl off. He goes back to his wife. He leaves the bikey gang. He moves interstate and now is running a great business serving the Lord. How amazing is that? That's a great testimony. We're talking a patch member, not a wannabe, a real one. Right? And let me tell you, he had done some stuff. See, God's salvation visits a soul. They're not just kind of saying yes to a thing of beliefs. Something happens on the inside because eternity is stirred. And once we understand it's not our responsibility to see someone saved, it's just our responsibility to be the messenger that has to make it so much easier. You know, Pastor Joe, on a Sunday night, and our Sunday night meetings are fantastic, so if you don't come, please start coming. You'll just, you'll just love them. But a few weeks ago, Pastor Joe preached a message, which was the beginning of our salvation series, on our evangelism series, and he preached about an empty chair. I'm sure he's preached a, a similar message here. But he spoke powerfully about the fact is that we want to see the chairs that we have empty in our church, filled by people. The church isn't just about a club. The church is the only organisation, as my friend says, that's actually built for those who have yet to come. And we want to see those chairs filled. But we want to see those chairs filled with someone that I work with, someone who's my neighbour, someone in my family, someone who's going to be the next youth leader, someone who's going to be a next missionary, someone who's going to go and do something great for God. All of a sudden, we just want to see these chairs filled. Because that's what the church has to be. Can't be just, let us make it great for us. Let us make it great so that people hear the message of Jesus. Joe stirred us towards a cause. And it's a cause that is powerful. Let me explain. Jesus had a cause. So a cause is why do you do stuff? It's not just what you do, it's why. And Jesus had a cause, and the Bible tells us what it is. And hopefully it becomes our cause. Because if it was Jesus' cause, I think it's a good cause for us to take up. John 18, verse 37. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth, the reason that Jesus came to earth, the cause for which he was born was that he would bear witness to the truth. He would preach the kingdom of God. That was his cause. Jesus' cause was not to heal the sick, though he does heal the sick. It wasn't to feed the poor, though he does see the poor fed. It wasn't to teach the Pharisees correct doctrine and show them how they were wrong. It was the kingdom. Jesus' cause was not just to do miracles. Jesus' cause wasn't just to see people's behaviour changed. Jesus' cause wasn't to condemn people to sin. Jesus' cause was not to meet people's need. Jesus' cause was to preach the kingdom of God. Of God. Of all the things that we do, the reason is that we preach the kingdom of God. We preach 
the good news of Jesus Christ. Luke 4 verse 40. As the sun went down that evening, he's in Capernaum. People throughout the village brought sick family members to Jesus. No matter what their diseases were, the touch of his hand healed everyone. Many were possessed by demons, and the demons came out at his command, shouting, You are the Son of God. But because they knew he was the Messiah, he rebuked them and refused to let them speak. Early the next morning, Jesus went out to an isolated place. The crowd searched everywhere for him, and when they finally found him, they begged him not to leave them. Stay here. We like this little club. We like what's going on here. It's nice what's going on here. Don't go away because I want what's nice here. But he goes, I must preach the good news of God, of the kingdom of God in other towns too. Because why? Because that is why I was sent. So he continued to travel around preaching in synagogues around Judea. See, if Jesus was here for all the peripherals, for all the things that he was doing, he would have just stayed in Capernaum and just said, you come to me. I'm here, you now come to me. But because his goal and because his cause and because he was sent to do something, he went out to preach the gospel. See, Jesus had a cause and everything else takes second place. His family his personal comfort, his riches, his personal glory. In fact, he was prepared to die for his cause and ultimately does. He lived his life and gave up his life for a cause. His cause was that people would no longer be separated from God, from his Father, that they would no longer be doomed to hell, that they would come to know his Father. You know, having a cause is one of the most powerful motivators in life. If you don't have a cause, your life is actually doomed for mediocrity because your life is just built on you and your wants and your needs and any life that is built on only your wants and seeing your needs met becomes ever smaller and smaller and a hedged in life. In fact, if you're living like that, your only hope is a cause, right? Your only hope is a cause. So are you living your life for a cause worth dying for? Now, I'm not telling you you should strap on a bomb and go save some whales, right? I mean, what cause do you follow that is willing, that's going to make you willing to die to self? That's what it means. That's what it means. Like, let me read it. Like, what cause do you live for that makes you willing to die to self. Because that's the true measure of a course. What am I willing to, to go for, but rather I'm pushing away my own wants, my own desires, what I'd like to do, but the cause is bigger. There's a number of things that happen if you live for a cause. Number one, personal comfort will not be your goal. If you live your life just to be comfortable, you realise that being comfortable never actually happens. You end up being selfish, self-absorbed, and eventually morally bankrupt. Everything in your life becomes around you. I've noticed as people get more rich and people get more, especially notoriety or, or more famous, they become more and more fearful 
and they become more and more about themselves. You can't become self-absorbed. Personal comfort is not the goal of someone with a cause. Number two, if you live for a cause, you don't just want a position. It's not about what people say about you, but what it is is that a position comes about who you can serve and what you're able to do. Getting a position isn't about saying people tell you how good you are so they can say you're now this. It's about now I've got the ability to serve more people and to do more things. If you serve just for the notoriety of men, for the praise of men, you'll soon become empty. If you live for a cause, number three, you look for solutions rather than be overwhelmed by the need. What happens is that you reach out rather than shrink back. If you have a cause, instead of saying it's too hard, instead of saying it can't be done, instead of saying it's too much, you look for ways in which to do it. I'll try up, I'll try down, I'll try right, I'll try left, I'll try it this way, I'll try it that way. That didn't work, so I'm going to try this. When you have a cause, you're just interested in seeing it happen, so you'll do what it takes and not allow the problems, the rejections, the, the maybes, the what-ifs to come and determine whether you actually keep going or not. If you live for a cause, it keeps you young of heart. Caleb was 85 years old and he didn't say, well, that's enough. I've done my bit, but I've got a cause. I'm going to get this land. I'm going to fight for my land. And at 85, he receives and sees what he's always had a cause for. If you live for a cause, you'll live in unity. I'll do my job and you do your job. The Bible says how good it is when brethren dwell together in unity, in unity. And what happens is that like it actually gives the picture of an ambush. And so you think of an ambush, you've got a guy over here and he's saying the enemy's coming. And then you've got a guy over here and he's like, I'm going to make sure he takes this road, not that road. That's his job. And then you've got this other guy coming, he's 10 metres here. He's coming out. You've got this guy over here, he's got the net he's going to throw on someone. Just picture this, right? And then you've got the three guys who jump on top of him and capture him. Right? So there's a good ambush. Yeah. Right? Everyone has their role, everyone has their place. And when everyone does their role, all of a sudden the whole goal is able to happen. You giving a cause actually gives unity. If you live a cause and live for a cause, then you'll live a disciplined life. I think the best way to describe that is in youth group or in young adults. And you're a young man and one day you just, whoa, she's nice. Oh, I haven't seen her before. Oh, that's nice. And so he came to church that day, his old shorts, old T-shirt, got some, you know, 47-year-old Birkenstocks that he took of his dad. Right? He doesn't care, hasn't put any deodorant on, doesn't care. But the next week, let me tell you, he's had a shave, he's, put, he's gone to the hairdresser, he's got his latest shirt on, he's wearing... I don't know, some sort of shoes. I've got no eye fashion sense at all. I don't, know, I don't know the brands, right? But he's got the right jeans on. He's got the right shirt on. And he's like, hey. And she goes, hey, right? So what happens, right? That's not how it happens, right? But uh, if, you're, if you're a guy, don't try the last part. Try the first part. Get dressed properly. Look after yourself. But don't go... Hey, all right, that's not going to work, all right. But what I'm saying is that because there's a vision, because there's a cause, 
all of a sudden you bring discipline. All of a sudden, when he walks past that girl, he's not like, he's like, right? He's, he's, he cares. When you live for a cause, you live a disciplined life. See, there are many benefits to living a life for a cause. Jesus' cause was to be a witness of the truth, to preach the good news of the kingdom. He then tells a famous story of the power of the sower. The, the sower goes out to sow the seed. He says, some falls on a path, some is in shallow soil, some amongst the prickles, and some in good soil. And to be honest, it's a great picture of the Christian life. The parable actually makes us ask the question, are we living our lives as an extension of the kingdom or do we see the kingdom as a vehicle for our own blessing? Are we a contributor or a consumer? See, in God's kingdom, we actually need to be both. Right? We actually need to be someone who sits and receives from the hand of the Lord and we need to be someone who gives out. I love the fact that at our church, at Emerge Church, we actually try and be that both church. It's not all about receiving and it's not all about giving. If you're someone who receives, there's times you've got to go out and be someone who serves. If you're someone who's always serving and you're always busy, you need to be making sure that there's times that you're sitting and receiving. Now, to be honest, we should be sitting first. Get it first from God so then our serving comes out of our relationship with God and not out of some have to. Right? I, I serve out of my strength. I serve out of my fullness. I don't serve out of my emptiness. So make sure that you're always full and have sat at the feet of Jesus, which Jesus said is the most important thing. Sit so that you can go and serve. I'm a great believer, to be honest, out of 40 years of being a Christian. It all come down to this. The extent that you live your life for the kingdom, the cause, will be the extent that the kingdom works for you. Well, you put it all in, the kingdom just works. It just works. So let's have a look at this a little bit deeper. Mark 4 verse 14. The sower sows the word. And these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that was sown in their heart. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground. When they hear the word, immediately they receive it with gladness, but they have no root in themselves and so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Now these are the ones sown among the thorns. They are the ones who hear the word. And the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things enter in, entering in, choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. But these are the ones sown on the good ground. Those who hear the word, accept it, bear fruit, much fruit, more fruit, and some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. So let's just have a look at that for a moment. Now, by the way, don't ever think that it's 25%, 25%, 25%, 25%. I'm leaving at Immersed Church. It's 97% fruitful and 1% on all the others. All right? Are you going to believe with me? All right. Wayside. Some people actually never understand that there is a cause. These are people that we witness to. 
We bring them to church. They hear a gospel message. But some lie of the enemy gets in and they just reject Jesus. They reject the word. You know, Satan is a liar from the beginning. See, if they understood Jesus like I understand Jesus, like the majority of people in this room understand, they would come running to Jesus. But Satan has lied. He's been a liar and they choose to believe a lie. They choose to believe what it is they believe to be true rather than the truth of the good news. They only want your money. I thought that when I first went to church the first time. I didn't have any money. It's hilarious, right? Why I would think that. Here, here's my seven cents. Christianity is just a crutch for the weak. Science has disproved God. Yeah, good luck with that one. If God were real, why is there suffering? See, these are the lies. There's a guy at work, he's a Christian. Look what he did. All of a sudden, they're the lies that stop people from accepting Jesus. There's a million of them. Satan comes and steals away the truth of the Word of God. The stony ground. Well, being a Christian isn't always easy. There's trials, there's persecutions. There's the cost of following Jesus. And so all of a sudden, when all of a sudden I've got to pay a price, we go, no, I don't want to do that. Now, I loved playing cricket. I actually loved playing all sorts of sport. But when I was young, a long time ago, I played a lot of cricket and it was probably the game I was best at. Even now, I'm not sleeping at night because I just listen to the ashes and uh, thank God for the rain, right? We're still going to draw this and win the ashes. Sorry, you English people. All right. But I'd play cricket every Saturday afternoon. Cricket would finish at 6 o'clock, get home, have a shower, go to our youth group. All right, so that was the plan. That was good. But we had a prayer meeting at 6.30 for our uh, youth group. And so one day my pastor came to me and he said, Mark, you're going to have to give up cricket because you need to be at the prayer meeting. I'm like, whoa. Right, I loved cricket. I was good at cricket. People used to tell me that I was good at cricket. I would be clapped and I'd be applauded. It would stroke my ego. I am good at cricket, right? I am good at these things, right? I liked people. I liked getting people out. I liked people telling me how good I was. And all of a sudden, I've got to give that up because there's a prayer meeting for youth group. But I knew in my heart that that's what God was saying. I could have stopped right there in my walk with God. I could have chosen to play cricket rather than take that next step that God wanted me. There was a choice. Now, cricket isn't bad. Cricket's not demonic. Cricket isn't evil. And for everyone else, fine, play all the cricket you want. But that's what God was saying to me. Yeah. I want you to put that aside. And that's what happens in our Christian wall. The seed starts to do something, but the cause starts to demand more from us. And God's saying, you need to put that friendship aside. You need to put that action aside. You need to maybe give me one night a week where you spend some time in prayer. You need to maybe give away some time in the morning, get up early and have some devotions. You need to... Maybe cut that friendship. Don't do this. Don't do that. And God's putting it on your heart. It's not really for me to put it on your heart. 
It's not for me to tell you what you should and shouldn't do. That's for the Lord when you're sitting ready to serve that he speaks to you about. It goes on about the thorns. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things. To be honest, that's what I believe is the real enemy when it comes. Most of us, once we love God and it's real, we're not going to walk away from God too much because we know that it's real. And we're going to kind of go to church, but we come religious. It's our habit of life. It's what we do, and it's a good habit. I'm not saying it's a bad habit, but it's just like it's the same. It's just the same. I've been now going to church for 40 years. It's just the same. It's just the same. It's just the same. But it's not the same when you have a vital relationship. I could tell you, you know, like I've been married to Nina for 27 years, just the same, just the same, just the same, just the same. That'd be horrible, right? But it's not because I love her, because we do our lives together. All of a sudden, that just brings meaning in every day. And that's what it should be with our Christianity, our attendance at church, our serving, the things that we're involved in at church shouldn't just be the same. But in relationship with God, they become alive. See, what happens is that like you're just busy. All of a sudden you're married, you've got some kids, the kids don't come come to church as much as they they can. And suddenly all of a sudden I used to go to church every Sunday. Now I just go three out of four. And then all of a sudden it's all a bit hard and church isn't as good as what it used to be anyway. And and I just don't really like it as much. and, And it's just not the same. And we feel that it's the church, yet it's really where we are at. We're not actually having the devotion life that we once did. We're not engaging God as what we once did. We're not engaging those things. And it seems like that's all bad, but it's actually a condition. It's not that you hate God. It's not that you're kind of like, God, church is a bunch of idiots, I'm leaving, I'm doing all that. It's none of that. It's just that the cares of this world, the desire for other things, the desire for riches enter in and choke the word. And it becomes unfruitful. And in a year of fruit, more fruit, much fruit, and everlasting fruit, it's something. It's something that we have to watch out for. There's a whole lot of legitimate things that can choke the cause right out of us. And then there's the last one, fruitfulness. Much fruit, more fruit, everlasting fruit. That's our promise. That's what I'm believing, that we should be walking in. And that's what God wants from us. Fruitfulness that sees more fruit. It's never just about the one orange. It's about from the seed comes a plant, comes a tree. Then from that tree comes another number of trees and eventually a forest. There's always fruit. I want the musos to come. You know, one of the things I love about Emerge Church, and it doesn't matter whether they're at Warner whether, when our visitor speakers come, doesn't matter whether they're speaking here. They love it when they come here, by the way, so well done. Thank you. All right. Uh, I have one and I love Redcliffe. But they always comment on the maturity of the church. They always comment on the leaning in. They always comment on a, on a, on a fact of that there's a, a sense of God in the place. And that's what I mean by fruit. There's a, God is doing something. 
So I want to encourage you today that we are called to scatter the seed. And it's not on us as to what happens with the seed. We've got to scatter it. We've got to throw it out. We've got to have a boldness and look and ask for opportunities to actually tell people about Jesus. And the thing is, is that if you're living your life in a Christian way, then all of a sudden you will find that people start to just come to you. I was talking to someone this week and they had uh, been to the youth camp and God had done a number of things to them. And they were just talking to a Hindu girl at, the, at their work. They talked about the youth camp. And suddenly it got on to the fact that people praying. And then the next thing, it was about people getting slain in the Spirit. Now this person, they didn't sit there. When I go to church work today, I'm going to get that Hindu girl. I'm going to talk to her about this. I'm going to tell her about slain in the Spirit. Then it got on to manifestations and demons coming out of people and different things like that. There was no kind of agenda. This person was just like living their life, working hard, doing their things, loving God. And then all of a sudden, this girl comes and talks to her. She can shrink back. Oh, I better not tell her about this. I better not say that. But all of a sudden, in the heart of this Hindu girl, there comes this stirring. Because the God of eternity is in her heart. The eternal God is there. And she says, you know, I'd love to come to church with you one day and just see that. Right? So that's how it happens. You don't need to stand up on a bus. You don't need to yell out in Queen Street Mall. You don't need to do any of those things. But you just need to be willing to talk to someone who will come to you. And I guarantee you, you will have people that come and talk to you. You have people that are going through things that you could sit there and say, I will pray for that. You know, if you look in the book of Acts, and I'm, I preached this message last week at Warner, it's like part two of this message. But if you look in the book of Acts, all the miracles happen with people who are non-Christians. And sometimes we think, oh, I just want to keep it in this club. I want to make it with us and I want to have healing for myself. But what about using healing as an evangelistic tool? The word miracle is the word for sign. It's a sign. It's a sign that God is real. So if you've got the boldness and the courage of that person who gets that diagnosis or that marriage issue or that finance thing or that relationship, whatever, that you can sit there and say, can I pray for that? Can I pray for a miracle? And allow God to do so. And that takes some boldness, I know. And then from there, all of a sudden, you have this opportunity just to talk. And once you start to talk, it's the Holy Spirit that starts to speak. You know, that person I spoke to, when they went to work on Monday, they had no idea that they'd be speaking to a Hindu person about the gospel. But God brought it up. God brought them there. And that's what it's about. Asking, looking, and wanting opportunities and then taking them and with a boldness speaking. This person wasn't imposing their beliefs. They're just telling them the good news, the good news of Jesus, opening up the fact of God being in heaven 
and allowing God to do something in their heart. I want you to stand right now. And I want us to make a fresh commitment to the cause of Christ. I'm not asking you to give your life to Christ. I'm taking a majority of you are. I'll give that call in just a moment. But this is about making a fresh commitment to the cause that Jesus had, which was to get the message of Jesus out. So I want you to just pray it after me if you wish to. Dear God, I make a fresh commitment this morning. I realign myself to your cause. I put aside my agenda and live with others in mind. Let my life extend your kingdom. Use me to tell others of your love. Help me every day, Holy Spirit, to be the bearer of good news. I trust you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, I pray right now for every person that this week we would be seed scatterers, oh God. Father, Lord, we would just take opportunities. We would look for opportunities, oh God. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would go with us, oh Lord, and that we would be intentional and purposeful and deliberate, oh God, in, Father, speaking your message, oh Lord. Father, give everyone this week the opportunity to tell someone about Jesus. Father, when they're in that place, let their heart just start to beat, oh God. Father, show them that you're wanting to say something to this person, oh Lord. Let the Holy Spirit boldness be upon them, oh God. And then, Father, let them do that, oh God, so that eternity that's written on their hearts would be pricked, would be opened, oh God. And that, Father, Lord, there would come a seeking. We just ask that in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Maybe you're in this place today and you've yet to give your life to Jesus. And that's one of the things. This is why we are existing as a church, because we want people to come to Christ. I, don't, I want you to come to church, but that's not the goal. right? My goal is that you become a lover of Jesus that Jesus and you would just be together, that there'd be a connection. You know, one of the things that hits me, and now I'm going off on a place, but I'll be at church. I've been a Christian 40 years now. And sometimes I'll be just in the presence of God. And I, I usually, I'll just be over here in the corner because I get self-conscious. I'm supposed to be the senior pastor, right? But I'm just over here or... And I'm just like a little kid. Like It's like I'm just touching God for the first time. There's just this naivety. It's just like, Jesus, I, I just want you. Sorry I have to be the pastor now, God. I, I just, I just want to touch you, Jesus. I just That's what I want you to have. When I got saved 40 years ago, something radically changed in me. Something became alive in me. The eternity of God just burst into my spirit. But 40 years later, I can still have that little kind of boy feeling of, I just need Jesus and I just love God. You're just so good. 
That's what I'm looking for. That's why I want you to tell people about Jesus. Because Jesus is real. He understands you better than you understand yourself. So when I say, do you want to give your life to Jesus? It's not so you can come to church. It's not so you can do this or do that. And we can say, we've got another one at Immerse Church. It's so that you can experience the knowledge of living one-on-one with your maker and purpose giver. So if you're in this place today and you don't know Jesus and you want to give your life to Christ, maybe just raise your hand. I'd love to pray with you because that's the first step right here on the front row. Fantastic. Anyone else? As I just look over. As I just look over. Anyone else you want to give their life to Christ? Father, I just thank you for this sweet young lady at the front, oh God, Father, who's given her life, oh Lord. Father, be so real with her. Father, let that eternity that's just starting to open up, oh Lord, let it burst out and let her have such a great, wonderful experience of you, of who you are, oh God, leader, teacher, guide her, protect her, oh God. Father, walk with her every day, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. You know, today's is not an altar call where I say, come out the front. Today's altar call is I open the doors and say, get out. (laughs) Does that make sense? Right? This isn't responding here. This is responding there. This is responding on Monday at work. Today, as you go to a family lunch. On Wednesday, when you just go past a certain neighbour. I think it's terrible that we don't know our neighbours. If you don't know your neighbours, change that this week. Right? Change that this week. Go and do something. Be someone. You know, like our neighbours know. They come and always bring, like, uh, sewing to Nina. Right? All of our neighbours. This is every one of them, right? Nina's always cooking for them, doing things. I sometimes mow their lawns. All sorts of things go on because that's what neighbours do. I want you to be better off if you have life near me. Right? And that's how it should be with all people who are Christians. People around them, their lives should be better off. And you should emerge as someone they will go to. I'm preaching another sermon now. God bless you. I love you.